You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam. The time is three minutes past seven. It's Friday, the 29th of September, 2023. We have a change this morning with the normal duo that uh, present this particular broadcast. Instead of uh, Stockheath and we being with me, it's uh, the veteran and the very eloquent uh, uh, Rashid, the brother Qayyum Rashid, who's uh, going to be uh, presenting with us. Asalaamu Alaikum Qayyum, how are you sir? Peace be on you. Wa Alaikum Asalaam, brother Walid, how are you this morning? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. On my toes now, making sure that I don't foul up in front of a very experienced uh, presenter. You normally appear on, uh, you normally feature on the Thursday show, is it? Thursdays and uh, it's normally drive time. Normal drive time. All right, okay. All rounder. Good. Well, anyway. um, It's all all Allah's blessings. We were hoping to have uh, Jalis Khan, Imam Jalis Khan with us as well, but I think he may have been uh, delayed or... Uh, maybe uh, um, on other duties, let's put it that way. Um, well, as always, we have a very packed show this morning. Uh, we uh, The breakfast show is an interactive broadcast. It means that our uh, listeners have the opportunity to call in and share their views with us, or they can use the more modern method of, um, now it's called the X, isn't it, uh, what used to be Twitter. Uh, they can post uh, their comments on X, and send them to us. Uh, a variety of subjects that we'll be discussing. Uh, so if there is something that interests you, then please do take the plunge and uh, make contact with us, 0208-687-7878. In a few minutes' time, we'll be uh, giving a rundown of the weather. I hope if uh, uh, Brother Kayum can uh, get hold of the details. Uh, and then we'll go, go on to examine some of the stories that are circulating around in the wider media, as well as those activities or news of those activities that are taking place in the Ahmadi Muslim community. And I won't be spending too much time on that because we've only got about 15 minutes to do that. So we'll rattle through as many as possible during that <coughs> quarter of an hour. Uh, and as mentioned before, if you want to uh, share your thoughts, then do do so. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number. Twitter handle or the X handle, if I can put it that way, is uh, Voice of Islam UK. Um, there's those familiar with the show would know that we hone in on two topics uh, that we dwell more on, spend a lot of time on. And today we'll be looking at uh, two topics that I suppose are to do with health uh, in one way or another. Um, in case uh, you didn't know, today, the 29th of September, is the World Heart Day, uh, a day set to encourage us, uh, make us more aware of uh, the need to care for this very special organ in our body, the heart, and the consequences if we don't take care. Uh, so the first topic is quite simply entitled World Heart Day. We'll be talking to Professor Antioniades Karis. Uh, uh, to understand this topic better, Dr. Karis is a professor of <coughs> cardiovascular medicine at Oxford and a consultant cardiolo- cardiologist at University Hospitals in Oxford. Uh, we also hope to engage in a conversation on the subject with Dr. Amam Bukwemwem, 
I hope I pronounced that pro- uh, correctly. The professor uh, is a professor of medicine at the University of Lagos Teaching Hospital. And we are also planning a three-way discussion, which uh, uh, Brother Kiyun will dis- uh, conduct, I'm sure, very expertly, uh, with uh, Joanna Heath, a project manager at the Children's Heart Foundation and patient tasks and mean. And as far as our tax second topic is concerned, so that topic would probably last us till uh, the till quarter past eight after the uh, eight o'clock news. Now, when we come to the second topic, we'll be looking at um, something that's increasingly becoming a scourge of uh, our modern societies, and that is the rise of mental illnesses. Apparently, an improved lifestyle may be the answer. So our topic for the last part of the program is depression can be prevented with a healthy lifestyle. So we'll be addressing this topic with the help of uh, Dr. Barbara Sahakain, who is a professor of clinical neuropsychology at the University of Cambridge. And we'll also be having a chat with Alexa Knight. Alexa is a director of England at uh, Mental Foundation, and uh, leads the Charities Policy and Research Programs activity in England. And together with all this, we'll be sharing the Islamic standpoint on this as well with everything that we discuss. So without further ado, I better hand over the mic to uh, to Brother Kayum to uh, lead us into, well, if we can get the hold of the weather, weather, if not, then the activities that are going on in the, uh, in the Amdiya Muslim community and uh, news in the wider community as well. Well, before we go on to the news, I mean, the weather has changed. Summer is officially over. Oh, dear. Um, Again? 21st of September, I think it was the last day of uh, of summer. Right. Um, And uh, the days have been changing. It's been, the rain has started to appear. The mugginess and the the darkness is a bit becoming a bit more prevalent. And uh, it is end of September, so we are coming up to the end of 2023. Uh, from a weather point, looking out of the window, it is still fairly dark, grey cloud. It's going to be largely dry and sunny. Um, once early showers clear the southeast, the northwest will see frequently blustery showers. And in the western areas, there may be some isolated showers. And this evening, it will be more or less the same clouds and showers. They will uh, diminish um, for uh, early evening, leaving a clear sky. Um, and uh, the areas where clouds will move um, will be the southwest, which will be later on in the night. Night um, is likely to be a cool night with light winds. This is uh, in accordance with BBC weather. So um, umbrella weather, is it? You have to have it is umbrella weather, yes. Okay. It is. I, I think uh, that's such a good point. Um, hmm. You know, it's, we, we tend to forget because um, we've had a, an on and off summer. It's been some good days, some bad, but... Um, I think uh, now when we do leave, um, it's good to make sure that we have the right attire because the the chill comes very suddenly. Mm. Um, And uh, that's from a pedestrian perspective. But if you're driving, please make sure that uh, you you are aware that roads are wet, it is slippery, and Mm. there's more and more cyclists on the road. And your wipers are working. And your wipers are working. Mm. And, And, you know, I always say... I'm not a fan of cyclists. I don't, yeah. but hmm. I do realize I'm sitting in a car which is made of metal and a cyclist is unprotected. Yeah. So Who's chosen to go out that's it. this way. Exactly. Hmm. Agreed. Hmm. But one needs to be rational about life just because 
It's not I don't like cyclists. I don't like the roads that we drive on, which are not made for buses, trucks, cars, and cyclists. Mm. I take my hat off to cyclists for they choose to do for so. For their bravery, their courage. Yes. Yes. But we, mm-hmm. as drivers, we have that extra responsibility. So because it's raining, we won't see. Sometimes we won't see them. Make sure it is 20 miles an hour. Yes, it is annoying. But I have seen too many things in recent months where I think, you know what? You, you Sometimes you just bite the bullet and you think, let's look at the bigger picture. We have to be careful. Mm. The cyclist is is unarmed. Mm. It's completely unarmed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, uh, it's sometimes frustrating because uh, uh, you you see some cyclists who who um, you know don't they don't follow signals. That's always a complaint. Um, but it's become it's it's I have actually seen a lot more stopping now hmm. at signals and following the signals. So you know we we tend to look for excuses to to kind of justify our hmm. point, and I think that's a separate debate. Yeah. Safety. In 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 in, mm. in uh, wet weather, mm. I think uh, it's it's paramount that we well, look after. It's a very mature outlook you've uh, presented there about respect to, for the uh, for the cyclists. Even uh, though it seems that from what you were saying, you don't really like them. I don't. I know. I'll be honest. I think maybe even from that perspective, I to me, it's not the cyclist. I just think that we think Amsterdam. Yet we don't have the infrastructure for Amsterdam. Yeah. If we had the infrastructure, no problem. But we tend to we 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 think our our govern people who govern us think short term. Hmm. They don't think long term. They don't think after they have gone. They put such policies in that the people who come in they look to change them instead hmm. of continue for the betterment of the city or hmm. the people. Hmm. And that's where my problem lies. Amsterdam became Amsterdam. It took twenty years. Of continuous different governments, but they continued with the plan because it was one plan, which was uh, um, absent of politics. Yeah, and, and you know if we, we can achieve that, but it takes time. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the moment we have a problem with HS two, aren't we? So, there you go. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, HS two is costing billions, and again, to me, it's like the Chinese. Yeah, politically, we have massive differences. Mm. But they seem to build things. You know, what the third runway, Heathrow, we've talked about it for 35 years, is yet to be built. And uh, the, 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 the new Beijing um, airport was built in, what, 13 months? Oh, right. 13 months. And then we scream about, oh, they have got human rights issues. Yes, of course. But we're not, that's a separate. You know, mm. let's not bring in uh, separate items that we can discuss, but let's talk at planning and moving forward. Uh, um, even mm. in, I was in fact on LinkedIn. There was this uh, this clip in Holland. This, this the, in Holland, uh, they were putting in a bypass over a weekend. They they dug up a motorway, put in a under. They put a, a small tunnel underneath it over a weekend. Oh. In right. Holland, because they just came in, used modern technology, they worked mm-hmm. at night, daytime, nighttime. Mm. London, if you look at it, a perfect example, Wandsworth Bridge is closed. Anybody who wants to cross, nobody crosses anymore because they just say we're not going to go. Because 
the only the only bridge that's open is Sputney Bridge. But then all of the traffic is heading towards Putney Bridge because Hammersmith is closed, Wandsworth is closed. If you really want another bridge to go to, it would be go in town towards Battersea. Right. So if you want to cross the bridge, you're looking at adding on an hour minimum to your journey. Who's going to do that? Mm, mm. The bus lanes are empty. Mm. But they're 24 hours. That's only temporarily closed. Be it's closed. been closed for three months. Mm. Hammersmith Bridge has been closed for three years. Again, if a country doesn't have a working infrastructure, things will get delayed. Yeah. But we digress. Hmm. There is the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community Weekends coming up. Last weekend was uh, the auxiliary organization, women's auxiliary organization's yes. annual um, get-together or convention. Yeah. Uh, this weekend is the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association, where yeah. I will be flying to shortly. <laughs> oh, I see you'll be flying. Next, next week is your... <laughs> you <know>. like our. <laughs> You're not that young. <laughs> it's how hard you're, it's how young you are. Oh, I see. I'm, I kid with you. Oh. Yes, of course, it is the Youth Association who are getting together today in, uh, um, I think, somewhere near... Um, uh, Somewhere near uh, uh, Alt, um, Hampton, uh, not Hampton, uh, no, near Alton. Alton, you're yes, right. Yes, near Alton. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Kingsley. Yeah. Uh, but the Amdia Muslim Elders Associations are getting together in this beautiful complex where we are mm. uh, sitting uh, in the Battle of Two yeah. House of Victories, um, where we will be getting together and doing some academic events and some sporting it's events. Relatively fewer in number, we can be accommodated here, whereas uh, the youth are greater in number. It is. And uh, uh, that's where uh, our uh, no usual presenter, Toki Tanweer, is. Uh, that's uh, the event in which he's involved in uh, trying to organize. And he's banging on about, he's been banging on about um, the kind of prizes. He's in charge of academic events, ah. the kind of prizes that they will be uh, giving. Um, and banging on about um, <laughs> the um, hamburger. You can win a hamburger. Yes, I, yes. I, I was actually listening and, and I really felt like calling in and saying, is that the best that the youth can yeah. do? Oh, there you go. See? You know, we as elders, we'll give you the full meal. <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't just give you the burger. We'll give you, we'll throw in the chips and the drink for free. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we wouldn't even, uh, in, uh, you know, insist on people competing. I mean, that's, what, that's, that's the way we behaved in our day. It is. It is. <laughs> it's yes. all changed now. It is. Right? I know. This, this, mm. this new generation. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a different program we should yeah, have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, so what's uh, happening in the news? Oh well, this. Uh, what's well, caught your eye, Mike? Well, uh, the tragic event uh, on Wednesday uh, we were talking about before we went yes, on air. Yes. Learned of the death of that fifteen-year-old uh, girl uh, on her way to uh, school in Croydon. Name was Eliane Andam, and uh, she was of Ghanaian origin. Uh, stabbed by a 17-year-old boy after getting off a bus following an altercation. Uh, and uh, police cars and ambulances surrounded the red double-decker bus in Wellesley Road near the Whitgift Centre following the attack at 8.30 that day in the morning. Speaking to reporters on Wednesday afternoon, the uh, uh, Met Police's Chief Superintendent Andy Bitten said officers were on the scene within two minutes of the call being received and provided first Aid. And he added that within 75 minutes, a 17-year-old boy was arrested 
in New Addington and remains in custody. Local youth worker Anthony King, who runs a crime reduction organisation in Croydon, told BBC Radio London, he just met with the girl's uh, friends and family following the, uh, the morning's attack and he said this is the fourth or fifth time that he's had to look uh, a parent in the eye and tell them the child has died. It's the worst day of his life and he can't imagine what uh, the, his uh, parents are, these parents are feeling. He added that it had been 22 months since a teenager had been murdered in a Croydon suggesting it was happening too often. Uh, our thoughts are prayer and prayers are with the family of the victim. But with the frequency of such attacks occurring in our neighbourhoods, it does beg the question as to what is the underlying cause for such violence. A bad upbringing, broken society, frustrations over current pressures such as cost of living crisis, something else maybe. Um, is it poor policing, uh, poor legislation? Is there a realistic solution or should we expect as Anthony King uh, suggested, another teenager being found in similar circumstances in 22 months' time. So it's very worrying. I mean, if a 17-year-old teenager feels compelled to carry a, what was said to be a 12-inch blade uh, in this attack, uh, this is worrying. Um, I, I agree with you. First mm. and foremost, of course, from Voice of Islam, our deepest condolences to um, the young girl's family. Um, it It... You know, the worst thing a parent can suffer is the loss of a child in the, within within their lifetime. No parent should be have to suffer no. such a tragedy. Um, and one hopes and prays that God gives you the strength and the courage to bear such a loss. Um, and uh, may God uh, uh, <clears throat> rest a young girl in peace. But you know, it's we the knife issue. I. I think there is a lack of discipline from all organizations, institutions, from parenting to the policing to the people who govern. It is, it, it, one cannot say the blame or the problem or the issue lies in one place. There needs to be cohesive thinking and there just isn't. Everyone is doing their own thing. There's no joined up. There's no links. The community feels let down before it used to be the police. Now the community feels they're let down by the government. Then they get let down by whoever comes in to attempts to help always comes with an agenda. So it's but but in, in, in such circumstances, one wonders that why to me, it's not why was this chap carrying um, a knife um, we grew up here yes times were different but there was there was respect for the law there was respect for parent there was a discipline there was parents were held accountable and there, there isn't any accountability anymore people hold positions yet they don't feel that they are responsible they don't feel that they are accountable for what responsibilities they have. And and I think we need to go back to basics. Governments need to be involved, local government, not national government. National government, never going to do anything. This is local government. This is mayor. The mayor saying, well, you know, knife crime has gone down. Really? Tell that to the parent. Tell the parents of the children who've lost their lives, who've been victims. 
it hasn't gone down. It might mm. statistically have gone down. Um, children are afraid of going out. I have daughters. It's like you know, it. It. I am. Con- I'm constantly on. On you know, message me. Tell me where you are. Tell me when you've got home. Blah 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 blah. You know, don't get on the bus. You know, what's no point telling me that num twenty buses have increased. Tell me the buses have become safe. Tell me that, um, you know, th- there is um, th- there is uh, necessary um, technology within these buses that will that I can use or, or my child can use when they're on a bus to avert danger. But we are so uh, busy on so many other things that we are forgetting the basics, which is to look after the people. And if we don't look after our youth. And we are failing. This generation of government is failing our youth. And I'm not talking good Tory government, Labour government. I don't care which government it is. Because irrespective of which side of the floor you sit on, our youth are being failed miserably. And our parents are not being given the provision to be there for their children to be role models because we've got them stuck so much into this loop of not working to have a good life but working to just keep your head above water so they can pay the bills and put food on the table and that mm. is that's it sounds like i'm describing a, one of the worst countries in the world i'm i'm you know it's like this country is deprived we're talking mm. about the sixth largest economy in the world where we have such issues what needs to change then in your view there needs to be cohesive thinking but you know look we're islamic we're, 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 there is lack of discipline teachers yesterday in wales teachers went on strike why because they're tired of being um they're tired of being beaten up by students mm-hmm. discipline has disappeared kids beat up on parents now i always think we try to look for the symptom of why the aggressor is being aggressive fantastic yes let's do that but let's also put in place punishments and i do mean punishments um we not not just deterrence punishments where people um and and you know have to pay the price for what they have done mm. a naughty step is something you do to a 4 year old not a 14 year old mm. Is it bad upbringing? Do you think that's also responsible? I, I, I think that I, I think I don't think bad upbringing. Mm. I think, firstly, again, I think there is there there. The, I think faith is missing. I see in this country, if one was to look at countries where faith is still prominent, people have a belief in God. People visit temples, mosques, churches. People go and are active in faith. There is there isn't this much. look it up okay you'll be surprised uk less than 50% believe in god i think it was 28% who actually yeah. believe in god yeah god god matters mm. not after the event before the event something we were discussing mm. um uh, earlier before we show came on that mm. it's nice to see people come they do vigils they do you know they, they pray but it's we we need to be that that that, that faith that mm. belief system the presence of god needs to be there before yeah 
Yeah, no, I'm sure we can continue this. Uh, I mean, um, I think, do you think that, uh, before we do, I just want to touch on this. Do you think that a sense of purpose uh, is also something that's missing as far as the youths are concerned? So the kind of things that we are able to provide among the community where we do give them a sense of purpose, we do give them opportunities to serve, like in charity, charity work, mm-hmm. like the gathering that we're having now with the youth. Um, and there are activities all year round. Do you think that is also um, a factor? It's key. The absence of that in wider society is what's driving people into gangs and uh, into into activities that they shouldn't be engaged in. Without a doubt, a sense of belonging mm. is the most important. I mean, I you know, we 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 still talk about. We were just talking earlier about even the elders getting. It's not just a young youth thing. It's a lifelong thing where mm. you know you belong somewhere. And belonging is so, so important. And mm. one of the reasons why people join gangs is because they want to feel, be- they want to belong to someone. Yeah. I, I want to carry this conversation on further, but I think we've run out of time because my producer, I know, will be very upset mm-hmm. because I think we've already exceeded by seven minutes the slot that we had for that particular item, but it was very interesting uh, listening to you, uh, I must say, uh, Brother Hume, uh, very interesting uh, to uh, have listened and sh- shared your views us, with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Right. Um, we have to look at uh, the first of our main stories, which is uh, the World Heart Day. We'll be speaking to Professor Anto- Antoniades Karis uh, uh, shortly, I hope, uh, Zishan will be putting him through very, uh, very soon. Uh, the uh, this is something we must have picked up from uh, one of the websites, but didn't say which uh, on my notes. But the World uh, Heart Day is a reminder to everyone around the world to take care of their hearts. This year's campaign focuses on essential, on the essential step of knowing our hearts first. The World Heart Day, an annual observance and celebration held on the 29th of September, is intended to increase public awareness of cardiovascular diseases, including the prevention and their uh, global impact. In 1999, the World Heart Foundation, in conjunction with the World Health Organization, announced the establishment of World Heart Day. Uh, The idea for this annual event was conceived uh, by Antoni Baez de Luna, president of WHF, uh, that is the World uh, Heart Federation, uh, from 1997 to 1999. World Heart Day was originally uh, until 2011 observed on the last Sunday in September, with the first celebration taking place on the 24th of September 20, uh, 2000. Uh, cardiovascular diseases are the most common cause of death globally. In uh, the early 2000s, roughly 17 million people worldwide died from cardiovascular diseases annually. The majority of these deaths were the result of coronary heart disease or stroke. Although cardiovascular diseases are often considered to be afflictions of people living in developed countries where sedentary uh, lifestyle is common, more than 80% of deaths from these diseases occur in low- and middle-income developing countries. The primary causes of cardiovascular diseases, poor diet, lack of exercise, and smoking, are considered uh, modifiable factors. Thus, even in developing countries, which often lack uh, efficient healthcare programs, the uh, majority... 
just I'm just trying to find my place. The majority of diseases can be prevented. Cardiovascular diseases also have a major impact on economic systems within countries because of the high health care costs associated with treatment and lost productivity associated with disability and absenteeism from work. Uh, since the first World Heart, World Heart Day, the uh, World Heart Federation, which is a non-governmental organization, uh, has continued to sponsor the annual event assembling and distributing information and declaring a theme for the day. Educational programs designed to engage the public are of a major part of uh, World Heart Day. Information about cardiovascular disease and uh, ways to prevent them is communicated through public talks, podcasts, posters, and leaflets. So uh, we are uh, hoping to... Uh, speak to uh, Professor Karis, but uh, I understand that there is some difficulty in uh, uh, getting him through. So uh, it may be an idea to uh, speak to the second uh, of our uh, um, experts, uh, Dr. Um, Beckman, uh, if uh, she can be put through. Or is it uh, he? I'm not sure. Uh, anyway. So, um, we're both um, very sympathetic with this, aren't we, uh, you and I, because we are both heart patients. We are, yes. Oh, I didn't yes. know you were. Well, yes. Um, I'm I, afraid I, I am, yes. Um, um. Too many, too many donuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Burfi, more than anything else. Mm. Look, I know there's a, it sounds doom and gloom, mm. but it's also a wake-up call. It's never too late. Um, I think that the key thing, I suppose, from a subcontinental, from a cultural perspective, we as people from the subcontinent need to, or people from ethnic minorities, especially with the West Indies, um, Africa as well, where there is a very, very rich diet mm. consisting of oil and sugar and everything. Um, you know, to have a oily meal in the subcontinent, say India or Pakistan, is different compared to having it in a developed country. Because over there, firstly, the climate's different. It makes a difference. Hmm. Secondly, um, you're not sitting around. You're active. Um, you, you are moving around. You're doing things. Thirdly, the most important, you actually have time. The pace of life is mm. such that you have time for your family, for your work, for for your gym, for your... Ex there mm. is that time. There isn't a rat race. So it's a more relaxed... Uh, yes. Okay, right. Whereas if you pick up that diet and bring it to London, where you're getting up at 7 a.m. to get to work for mm. 9 a.m., and you're leaving work at 5 p.m. to get to home for 7 p.m., there isn't that time to do anything. Mm. So you eat and you sleep. There is not that burning. There isn't that um, uh, that uh, time to actually digest properly the food that you eat, which is, again, consists of... Uh, and, uh, you know, some people will call and say, or people say, well, you're criticizing... I'm not criticizing the food. Mm. I'm saying there's a time and a place. Hmm. 
Well, I think uh, my light is up, so my light is on, which means that we do have Professor Karis on the on the line. Uh, good morning, Professor Karis. Are you on the line, or am I speaking to uh, Dr. Mbakwe? Yes. Oh. Yes, yes, this is Karis uh, Antoniadis. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Welcome to the uh, Voice of Islam. Um, uh, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay, uh, fine. Relieved that you're, you're with us. Um, uh, in your view, is it important to have a day such as World uh, Heart Day to raise awareness? Shouldn't every day be uh, a day where we should uh, be aware of the need to look after our heart? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, as I'm sure you are aware, um, heart disease is the number one killer worldwide, right? Uh, we are losing more people from heart diseases every year than from all cancers together. And the British Heart Foundation has put together um, some shocking stats that I was going through um, just before your show now. So every day in the UK, there are 460 people who die from cardiovascular disease, mm -hmm. 180 of which from coronary heart disease. 260 heart attacks happen in the UK every day, one every five minutes. Imagine, every five minutes, somebody in the UK goes to the hospital with a heart attack. So should we do uh, what it takes to raise awareness? Absolutely, yes, because awareness means prevention, and it means that with early diagnosis, we'll have fewer heart attacks, mm. and then we'll save more lives. Mm. My, my colleague is with me. Um, he'll be asking a few questions. He was mentioning earlier that uh, uh, the incidence of uh, heart disease may be greater in this country as opposed to, say, somewhere in India or mm -hmm. in the in the developed world in the south because of the weather and because of the lifestyle. Is there any evidence that supports that, that view? So this is a very complex matter. There are areas in the world, especially um, in the developing world, where the incidence of uh, cardiovascular disease is much lower than the UK. This is because of the diet. Oh. Um, the, um, uh, the more healthy diet you have, the less uh, fat you eat, then the less likely it is to develop heart disease. However, there is also the genetic component. You mentioned India. Mm. Well, um, in that part of the world, there is significantly higher incidence of cardiovascular disease because of the genetic background. So there are some uh, genetic factors that make uh, people more vulnerable or less vulnerable to cardiovascular disease. And uh, you have to look into the genetics in combination with the lifestyle and diet in order to attribute a risk to an area in the world. Um, Professor Kayum here. Uh, good morning. Peace be on you. The point I was making was that the the rich diet, which is very oily and sugary, that that we tend to attribute towards the, the subcontinent, when you eat that diet there, the lifestyle there is very balanced still. You have time for everything. You have time for exercise. You have time for work. You have time for family. You have time for everything. Yes. Whereas, which leads to less stress, less depression, Whereas when we bring that diet into somewhere like London, where you have you don't even have time to work or get to work and come back home in time to do anything else, so it increases the chances um, of 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 you developing symptoms for for um, uh, for heart problems because 
that diet maybe works in the subcontinent, but that same diet won't work here because of lifestyle changes. Yeah, this is uh, this. You're absolutely right. It's, it's always a combination. So we we do attribute higher risk uh, to South Asian populations who, uh, when when they move to the UK environment, uh, but uh, when um, uh, Indians, for example, are back in India, then the risk is is more similar to the um, uh, to the Caucasian population in the UK. Wow. So they don't have a disadvantage. And that's because, as you said, it's because of the diet. So it's a combination, genetics and diet all together. Now, Professor, we, we always talk of the, the, the negative size, the t- statistics, which is, which is important. I think people need to know. But um, there, is, the, the, there is still a light at the end of the tunnel. What, what does a person need to do to make sure that they don't develop um, heart disease, what or someone who has developed it, is it reversible? Mm. So it's it's easier to prevent the development rather than reverse it after okay. it's developed. So uh, prevention is the key. Yes. Identify people who are at risk at a very very early stage, uh, and this can be done through risk profiling. So looking into the risk factors. Smoking is something that definitely needs we need to drop from our society. Uh, diabetes is something that you know with with a good diet you can control it. Hypertension, you know, it less salt etc. Have a more balanced uh, diet and exercise that's important. Uh, and then you have a high cholesterol, which is the number one problem that leads to atherosclerosis. So balanced diet, if needed, take starting treatment to reduce your your cholesterol, all these are prevention measures. After it's developed, then the focus is not to reverse it, but to prevent heart attacks. Remember, atherosclerosis is these uh, lipid deposits on the wall of the arteries, Mm. which are developed over time by the exposure of our vessels to these risk factors. Now, if any of these plaques gets inflamed, which happens if you do not control your risk factors after you have the plaques developed, then these plaques break. And when they break, they give heart attacks. That's exactly the stage that we can intervene after the development of the disease to prevent these plaques from breaking and causing heart attacks. So that's, that's, that's the, the second stage of prevention, the secondary prevention, as we call it. How do you prevent heart attacks in people who already have disease in their arteries? So there are ways that we can do that. By identifying these people early, we have technologies that use artificial intelligence. One of these was the one that we have developed here in Oxford, the Cari Heart Technology, that identify these patients who are at risk for heart attacks. And then we can deploy treatments and, and prevent heart attacks from happening. You mentioned artificial intelligence. Could you kindly tell us about your Oxford Cardiovascular Computed uh, Tomography program? Yeah, so this is a, this is a large program that um, um, has been developed over the last um, 10 years nearly. The Bridge Heart Foundation specifically was uh, the big funder behind the whole program that was supporting this, this, uh, this type of research. And, and we have developed, um, by using artificial intelligence, a system that is, is living now in the cloud. It's like a living brain in the cloud that um, reads CT scans. Uh, perform at any kind of, uh, of CT scanner anywhere in the world, but now we are focused primarily on the NHS, and it gets 
information from these scans about the inflammation you have in your arteries, supplying blood to the heart, and uh, it tells you what is the possibility of the patient to have a heart attack. And if the possibility is high, then we can give treatments, we can give uh, statins, we can give instructions to prevent this heart attack. So this is a technology that uh, has been uh, developed in Oxford, and now uh, it has been rolled out into the NHS just last month. So um, if we go to the hosp any hospital now in the country, this technology should become soon available in, in every hospital uh, around the NHS. And this is focused exactly in using this um, artificial intelligence to prevent, uh, to identify patients at risk and prevent the heart attacks. And I want to make one point here. So Please. we are talking about these kind of technologies that come from the UK because the UK leads the world in prevention, in cardiovascular prevention. But why, are, uh, why is the UK leading the world? This is the world because we have funding bodies like the British Heart Foundation, who launched this, uh, this, uh, this day, like uh, that we're discussing today, uh, which funds this early stage research that no other funding body is funding around the world. So this is unique. This is our strength in the UK. We have organizations like that who support all this effort, who pump this money into, into uh, science and academia and, and research in the UK. And this is why we are now 10, 15 years after the initial investment, we are in the position to give to the world this kind of technologies. And that's, that's our strength, and this is what we need to protect in the future. Professor, before we let you go, uh, and before Brother Valid jumps in with his uh, final questions, uh, so, simply put, if I was to develop a Mediterranean diet and walk every day, am I walking towards the right direction? Absolutely. That's exactly the right direction. You don't need anything else. If you, if you exercise regularly, mm -hmm. not extreme exercise, yep. Systematic, regular exercise, like walking, for example, um, 45 minutes a day, covering three miles, mm -hmm. non-stop. Non this is the type of exercise you need to introduce. Awesome. If you if you cut down fat, if you increase green salads mm. in your diet, if you use your olive oil instead of um, you know any kind of uh, of other. Um, um, the, the the frying oils that uh, exactly uh, yeah. exactly if you avoid um, the the fast food yes all these are factors that uh, will definitely protect you going forward awesome awesome professor um, I'm handing over to brother Valid yes uh, professor I mean you, I'm I'm just considering uh, things that can reverse uh, what has already happened in terms of uh, deterioration. In term, uh, regarding ca the cardiovascular system. So you're talking about uh, plaque uh, and fat clogging up arteries. Is there any way to dissolve those? Mm. Unfortunately, there is no known way to dissolve them. However, the, by uh, giving statin treatment, by having a balanced diet, even if you start it late, what will happen? will get these plaques calcified. So they will become rock solid. If you have a plaque in your arteries that is soft and is inflamed, that may break, giving you a heart attack. If now, after you have the plaque, you introduce healthy lifestyle, you take your treatment, 
and you have a, a, a balanced diet, then that plaque will get calcified, will get rock solid, and it will not break, and you will not have a heart attack. So it will stay there quietly at the side of the vessel, but it will no longer be the dangerous plaque that will lead to a heart attack. So that, that, that's what we should be doing. Yeah, but that would restrict the, uh, restrict the vessel, wouldn't it? It will narrow it because yeah, of the... So, yeah, it, it depends because um, if a plaque is at the early stage and it causes more than, let's say, 70% narrowing of the lumen of the artery, then it will not give you any symptoms. Even if you get any symptoms at uh, severe exercise, those symptoms will be what we call stable angina. It will be stable symptoms. And they can be uh, treated with a stent. We have this procedure that we put a balloon into the artery, we break the calcified plaque, we put a mesh stent inside the artery, and then you no longer have the symptoms. But the key is not only not to have symptoms, it's not to have the heart attack as well. Uh, And the heart attacks happen with small plaques when they rupture. Because the small plaques are not calcified, are more vulnerable, and that's why these are even more dangerous than the significant plaques which give symptoms. The most dangerous plaques, remember, are the plaques who don't give any symptom until the day they rupture. Mm-hmm. Because they appear as heart attack, and this heart attack is the most dangerous one because they come into out of the blue, people are not prepared for them, and that's these are the heart attacks who are um, essentially the fatal ones. Right. Thanks very much. Uh, I'd love to have talked to you for longer, but we have to press on. Thanks, thank you very much for coming on. Have a nice day. Thank you. Peace, peace be on you, Professor. Um, just just before uh, Professor goes, it would not be right not to give a full uh, intro to the Professor. Professor uh, Antoniadis Charis is a full Professor of Cardiovascular Medicine at the University of Oxford and a consultant cardiologist in Oxford University Hospitals. He graduated medicine in Athens Medical School with honours in 2000. He was awarded his PhD title with honours on the genetics of premature uh, myocardial infraction and he won multiple prestigious international young investigator award competitions. Um, That was uh, Professor Charles with us Uh, and thank you to him and may peace be on him. Right, so uh, let's move on. We've got now on the line Dr. Amam Mbekwim. Uh, Dr. Mbekwim is a professor of medicine at the University of Lagos and a consultant cardiologist at that university. Thank you very much for coming on, uh, Dr. Mbekwim. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Right. Uh, can you just uh, kindly inform listeners about the World Heart Federation, how and when it was initiated, and the reasons for having a World uh, Heart Day. Okay, thank you for that question. The World Heart Federation was formed in um, 1978 by a merger of two societies, International Society of Cardiology and the International Cardiology Federation. And this... um, was important because we know that cardiovascular, you know, heart disease-related uh, deaths, you know, are quite uh, frequent and has doubled in the last 30 years, reaching about 20 million in 2021. And you know, this is all around the globe, and it forms about a third of all the global deaths. And more than 500 million people are living with um, heart diseases. So World Heart Day 
which was started about 20 years ago and is celebrated on the 29th of September every year, is estimated to reach 2 billion people on mainstream and social media. And the main aim is to, you know, to raise a campaign of awareness and highlight the vital actions that all of us, you know, whether you're in health policy, the private sector, you know, must take to prevent you know, heart disease. And it's a global movement, multicultural, mobilizing schools, universities, sports clubs, you know, and the rest. The campaign rallies the global community to engage in fun activities, you know, increase public education and advocate for universal access to cardiovascular disease prevention, detection and treatment. Mm. So apart from setting a day aside uh, to ponder over this uh, this concern over heart, over the, over the caring of the heart. What what um, practically does the federation do? So, so the, the federation is actually an umbrella organization of over two hundred societies, you know, scientific organizations, um, 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 patients, and so, I know. Um, will it fund? Will it fund uh, research, for instance? Well, we don't fund big research, but we, you know, um, uh, support our members, you know, for advocacy, you know, things like um, um, uh, translating, you know, uh, science into policy. It's not actually meant to fund, you know, big research. But recently, you know, we've started doing a bit of that for things that are of global interest, like um, during the COVID. You know, there was a COVID study that was started by WHF looking at them um, cardiovascular disease, you know, global cardiovascular uh, disease um, effects in uh, COVID because we know that there was there wasn't a lot of information coming from the low and middle income countries. Most of the data we had came from you know the high income countries. So WHF, you know, started that. But majorly, we don't form you know fund the deep research like that. But we give small grants for you know, to help members, you know, for advocacy and, you know, getting policy into action. Hmm. So, uh, I've got a note here about air pollution. Uh, do you have an, a policy on air pollution? How does that affect um, our cardiovascular condition? Oh, yes. Um, air pollution, I mean, has come to the front burner, you know, in recent times because we know that about 25% of heart disease deaths are linked to air pollution. You know, the tiny particles, you know, cross the lungs and travel into the bloodstream where they damage, you know, the lining of the blood vessels and they become narrow and harder, you know, and restrict movement of, um, you know, blood through the vessels and can increase blood pressure, can also lead to heart attacks and strokes mm. and can also affect the normal functioning, in electric functioning of the heart. And the air pollution we talk about, there are two types, you know, where it could be outdoor, it could be indoor. Outdoor sources will include industry, energy supply, transport, waste management, dust, and agricultural practices. But it could also be indoor, where we use the open fires for cooking and heating. WHM, the World Health Federation, you know, has the um, briefs on air pollution and recommendations for everyone, not just, I mean, it's, um, for us to get, you know, to real, uh, to control this, everybody must come on board. So we have recommendations for physicians, for patient groups, 
for scientific societies, for policymakers at the city and national government levels. And the briefs are focused on cleaner transport, energy-efficient homes, power generation. You know, we're asking, can we move to, you know, um, um, renewable energy and not the ones that um, increase the pollution around the, the globe? Industry mm. regulation, access to clean fuel and technologies, and better management of municipal waste. You know, so we have briefs and you know, policies on those that will help everybody, you know, come on board and help uh, reduce um, the air pollution. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, my colleague also wants to ask a few questions before he does that. I mean, you're talking about policies. Do you find that you actually listen to? Are there, is there any uh, a positive reaction from uh, governments uh, that uh, in response to the policies and to the suggestions you make, recommend, recommendations you 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 apply, or you want to apply it? Okay, you know, so you know these these are kind of global policies. So what we try to do with our member societies is to hold what we call roundtables, where you bring in the physicians, the practitioners, the patient group, uh, pharma, policy makers, government, you know, to sit and discuss, you know, those policy briefs, you know, and see what works for each person, because we know that it can be one size fits all. So those roundtables helps each country, each region to fashion out, you know, its own policy. But everybody knows that this is this is a problem. These are the ways you can prevent it. But how can we domesticate it in our own environment, you know, to help us achieve the goals? Thank you. Uh, can you move to you? Um, we are coming up to the hour, so I'll only ask one question uh, to to the doctor. Um, doctor, is a heart disease um a disease of the developed person not the country is and and i and the, the question i ask is people who have um less in life people who are defined as poor compared to people who are well to do and rich it sometimes statistics show that people who are more materialistic people who have uh, more wealth tend to suffer more with heart-related diseases than people who have uh, less in life, yet have more hope and faith. Is is there any correlation there? Well, I, I, I don't think it's such a straightforward answer. For the more developed countries, of course, there's much more you know, access to things that can lead to heart diseases, but they also have access to you know, care and, you know, the best in technology to look after them when this happens. And we've seen that in recent times, you know, the deaths from heart diseases and all these have, you know, they, they are coming down in the developed countries. But in the developing countries, it's like, you know, getting, getting the wrong end of the stick all the time. So there's a lot of poverty. Mm-hmm. So even when the risk factors exist, they are not properly managed because access to healthcare is not there, and there's um, the universal health coverage doesn't cover much. It's not cover most of the population, and people have to travel long distances to get access. So what we find is that these uh, risk factors are not properly managed, and then you know the the effects, the heart diseases, now is a bit more in the low and middle income countries. 
you can see what is driving the increase in recent times is coming from the low and middle income countries. And we know that in our population, in the low and middle income countries, the heart diseases we're talking about happened like a decade earlier. So while in the, you know, in the developed countries, maybe it's in the late 60s and early 70s, but in the low and middle income countries, in the 50s, you know, when people are still in their productive years, when people still have a lot of responsibilities, you know, so it's like a double whammy, you know, for people living in low and middle income countries and who are underserved. Wonderful. We, I, I could ask you so many questions, but we are coming up to the hour. So I would like to thank you for taking time out for the breakfast show for us. Um, may, Allah, may Allah reward you for all the work you do. Um, and uh, I hope we will get a chance to, 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 uh, to invite you onto our show again. Until we meet again, um, uh, may peace be with you, Doctor. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Right. So, uh, as uh, Brother Kiyuma said, that we've uh, got uh, a few seconds just before the um, 8 o'clock news. Uh, we'll continue with this subject after the 8 o'clock news, and then we'll be going on uh, to our next uh, uh, main topic, uh, which is uh, regarding depression. So, don't go away. Uh, stay with us back in a couple of minutes. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show. The Voice of Salam with me, Waleed Ahmed and Kanyam uh, Rashid. The time is uh, just gone uh, three minutes past eight. It's Friday the 29th of September 2023. Uh, we were discussing before the break uh, the subject of uh, World Heart Day, uh, talking to uh, uh, Professor Karis and then Mbekwem uh, regarding uh, this particular issue. Um, and uh, we had an interesting discussion ourselves, didn't we, Brother King? I think it was very interesting. Mm. But my question to you, Brother, mm. you we started this conversation with both of us. Yeah. Um, being very relevant to this topic. Yes. So what do you take away from this? So what are you going to change as of today? I'll be walking, I think. Excellent. Uh, yes. Awesome. That's what I was yes. hoping you'd say. Fantastic. Oh, I'm, I'm that's the glad. Whole, that's the whole point, you know, yes. of, of, of doing this. Yeah. And this falls in line with, um, you know, a lot of people might be wondering, well, what are we talking about? This is Voice of Islam. They're talking about heart. Well, you know, heart, God lives in it. Hmm. And uh, it's it's so we need to look after it. Um, and uh, Islam is a way of life. It isn't just a faith. It's not just oh, today is Friday and today is Islam Day. Mm. No, Islam is a way of life. We wake up when we open our eyes. We remember God. We thank God for giving us that one other day. Mm. Mm. And uh, you know, and part and parcel of that living is to look after our health because. That's the instruction of God Almighty. Yes, uh, we are told that uh, God values a healthy believer. That's right. Uh, in, uh, more than uh, an unhealthy one. I don't know if value is the right word, but uh, he prefers. Uh, because obviously uh, a healthy believer would be able to do more in terms of worship than, of than an unhealthy one. Anyway, we have to move on and we have got our two guests on the line uh, for a conference call. This is Joanna Heat, uh, project manager, and uh, Tassami in the patient. Over to you, uh, Brother uh, uh, Kim. Um, good morning. Welcome to The Breakfast Show, uh, Joanna and Taz. Um, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking time out and, uh, and joining us. Um, 
I'll I'll come to you first, Joanna. I mean, for the benefit of our listeners, um, could you kindly tell us about the, the, the Children's Heart Federation? Yes, certainly. Well, Children's Heart Federation, we're a national charity and we champion children with heart conditions, uh, whether they're congenital or, or acquired, so whether they're born with them or whether they uh, get a heart condition during their childhood. And we provide resources, research and recognition for these children and their families and those who care for them. Um, Taz, could you tell us, from your perspective, what your experience of dealing with uh, your daughter's condition and some of the challenges you have faced? Yes, of course. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. So my daughter, Sophia, she was diagnosed with a heart condition uh, called dilated cardiomyopathy when she was just 10 weeks old. Um, causing chambers of the heart to be enlarged. Um, so cardiomyopathy is a general term um, for disease of the heart muscle and it affects the heart's ability to pump blood around the body. So Sophia at 10 weeks old was um, diagnosed with this very life-threatening disease um, and she was what you classified as inactive heart failure at that time and rushed to intensive care at Great Ormond Street. Um, uh, unfortunately, her condition didn't improve, and then um, during um, 2019, she had to undergo a heart, a heart transplant. So, in terms of the challenges, I mean, if you can imagine um, that initial uh, diagnosis where you've been told that your child has a life-threatening condition, um, and it's that fear of the unknown, like you don't know what you're dealing with, mm. you have no knowledge of, um, you know, heart disease. You, the reason I didn't have that awareness, I didn't even think that heart disease can be something that impacts children, and how that completely changes your life because you cannot just plan your day anymore like you used to. It's like the the the, the condition becomes a new normal, so you have to adapt your life. Um, uh, around uh, Sophia's needs. And um, I suppose so it's that much more difficult when it's your child and you you look to find a diagnosis so you can deal with it. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and I think sometimes you think, uh, I, I mean, I had mixed feelings. So when she was diagnosed in 10 weeks, I had that 10-week period when she was born up to the point where I rushed her into hospital where I had gone to see several doctors and I was kept being told that she had feeding issues and she that's normal and it would settle and eventually my motherly instinct told me otherwise because she was losing a lot of weight she was just very she wouldn't cry she would literally scream as if she she's in pain so having um, taken that decision that I must take her into hospital and being told there and then literally within 10 minutes of arriving that she has an enlarged heart um, and, and, and to sort of process that, it, you know, you can't stray away because I have sure. my my other child with me. So of I had course. to be really strong and resilient um, and then just try and sort of, um, you know, not break down in that moment um, and then try and make sense of, you know, what's going to happen, what are the, what's the next stage and being told that she's going to be transferred to Great Ormond Street because, you know, she can possibly die she doesn't get the right treatment almost immediately um, and then um, because she wasn't feeding the other challenge was that how do we feed this baby so the only uh, last resort was to have um, a, a nasal gastric feeding tube and that was it was very scary for me as a mother because sure, um, then I had to be trained into uh, giving her these nasal gastric tube feeds and you cannot uh, make any error because if, if 
um, you know, you don't do things properly when it comes to feeding her via this tube. Um, you know, it, the tube could be, uh, uh, you know, misplaced and it, you know, it could end up um, uh, causing lots of complications. So I had to have training, which training. took a while. But initially, it was in, uh, while she was in hospital for a period of three months, it was the nurses that were doing all that, and I had to watch and observe. And then eventually, when she was discharged, prior to, uh, three weeks prior to that, I went through some very intensive training. Um, um, and, and yeah, go on. Sorry, if I may come to Joanna. Joanna, I mean, Taz is explaining the different mm. um, heart mm. disease, the congenital heart disease, and, and, and the types of heart conditions that... Uh, you know that that she had to go through and um, for the benefit of our listeners could you tell us what symptoms parents should be wary of and, and and what are the different types of heart conditions yes I can well I'll start, I'll start with the symptoms as you mentioned it first we have a campaign um, just to make parents and health professionals actually aware of the signs um, that the could a baby could have a heart condition and it, it has the acronyms H-E-A-R-T. So H is heart rate. So if the baby's pulse is too, feels too fast or too slow, um, that could be a sign. So a normal pulse rate would be 100 to 160, which is quite a lot, isn't it? But if, it's, if it feels fast or slow, then that's a sign. Then energy. Um, Charles mentioned difficulty feeding that's a sign of it the child's often very very sleepy will actually fall asleep while feeding and i don't mean they they have a lot to drink and then it sends them to sleep i mean they literally take a couple of sips and then and keep dropping off that is a that's a sign appearance um pale waxy skin perhaps a bit of a blue or gray um tinge to it um Rest, and so that's A, and then there's R for respiration. Um, if the breathing is too fast or too slow, that is that is a strong indicator. And then lastly, temperature. If the baby feels cold to the touch, uh, particularly hands and feet. Um, it's but if you've got a, you know a few of those things together, and you're generally concerned, as Tass says, mother's instinct, then. Speak to your um, health visitor, your doctor, and just ask them to check their heart. I, I, we can't emphasise that enough. And, and, the and different... as, for, as for the different, yes. So, uh, as we we're saying, congenital means that you, you're born with a heart condition. So, mm -hmm. any any adult who has congenital heart disease had it as a child as well. There are many different types of heart condition uh, that babies can be born with. Uh, I think we've got 15, about 15 listed on our website. But roughly speaking, um, they could be born with holes in the heart. They could be large or small. Sometimes if they're small, they only have to be carefully monitored because they, they may close naturally uh, or they can be repaired. Um, they, they could be faulty valves. Um, the heart can be I've put, not wired up correctly, so veins and arteries can be in the wrong place. Um, and it's all to do with getting the blood through the system, oxygenated blood through the system to the organs. So if the heart's not pumping the blood as it should do, it doesn't get the oxygen, and, and this is where problems occur. Um, 
Also, there can be something wrong with the rhythm of the heart. It could be too fast or too slow. Um, some t- so a child might actually have to have a pacemaker, which is something you would associate with old people. Um, and and then some children are born with, you know, virtually only half a heart, which is a very complex um, heart condition, um, which at one time, you know, children sadly would not have survived. But fantastically, there, there is a lot that can be done now, but they will have to have multiple operations during the course of their life. Sure. Um, Taz, if yeah. I may come to you. Um, yeah. how, firstly, how is Sophia now? And oh, she's, she's doing great. I mean, she's um, four years post-heart transplant, but she still needs a lot of um, um, you know, monitoring. Um, over COVID, for example, she had, during that first lockdown, she had eight hospital admissions, um, and she became very, very unwell. So we would come home. It became like a predictable pattern. pattern. We'd come home for a few days, then suddenly she'd become really sick, um, back in hospital for two weeks. And at that time, because it was... Um, so challenging in terms of nobody knew what COVID was uh, and trying to figure out what this disease was. Um, so you're you're in that room and you, you know you're you're not being told much information apart from we just need to make sure that you know that you're safe, to be safe, and that, uh, reduce the risk of infection. Um, so you're in isolation. Uh, and you're trying to make sense of everything. Uh, and then Sophia's very unsettled. She's very scared because every time she goes into hospital, there's lots of invasive procedures that she's got to sure. undergo. Um, and it's very painful at times. And um, uh, and these eight admissions were, I mean, they were physically exhausting for me. And, and one of the admissions during Ramadan as well, so I was fasting and I couldn't leave the hospital um, so, you know, it, it, it was very draining for me and also for my family because I don't have much support in London. So it's uh, Sophia's other two siblings, they felt really um, lonely because mummy was in hospital um, and trying to manage their, you know, um, uh, their schedule and routines uh, in my absence and making sure that I was um, reaching out to people that could help in the community that could, uh, for example, you know, uh, cook food and drop it off. I mean, practical support. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, I mean, she's doing really well. But last year, um, she she had an episode of rejection. So that uh, was very sudden. So with children that have undergone a heart transplant, they, they can, um, you know, it's very unpredictable, like I said. So you, you can have a very good couple of weeks and then because you're um, on these anti-rejection medicine uh, medication for the rest of your life um, the, the, your immune system um, uh, you know is lowered so um, in order to prevent rejection of the heart so you're more at risk of it getting infections sure. and Sophia would sort of pick up infections all the time and when she had this episode of rejection her symptoms were very similar to um, um, uh, that sort of heart failure so you know she'd kind of like a, uh, shortness of breath and um, she just uh, feel very very tired and remember that 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 one particular morning she just she was just completely wiped out she was just like mommy I, I don't have energy to get up I just want to sleep and she was sleeping excessively and that was like a you know an indicator that something's not right and uh, immediately I, I rushed her into A&E um, and then they monitored her for a while and then they, they said you know she's fine well enough to go home and just if there's any more concerns come back but then I had to have a second opinion and I rang up Great Ormond Street and they said, no, you must go back to the hospital. 
And this time when I went back, they did um, uh, the echocardiogram, which is a test where they have visual for the heart. And they can see immediately that there was um, the heart was slightly enlarged and it was beating much more slower. Uh, and immediately they'd, you know, they'd obviously have to ascertain that she was in heart failure again and uh, in rejection. So um, and then she was rushed into hospital for four weeks and this was last April. And, and I honestly didn't think that she would make it through because, um, you know, she was um, really sick. Um, but then she had um, uh, four weeks of uh, three weeks of intensive care, then recovery, and then yeah, she she's she's since then she's been home and um, again close monitoring, lots of hospital appointments. But again, again, like I said, it, it could she could be very well for a few months and then suddenly become very sick again. So it, it had life will revolve around you know hospital appointments, admissions, tests. That's ongoing, and that's something that she has to, um, as she's growing older, she's going to have to sort of gradually come to terms with and accept. Um, now, but, yeah. it, you know, you've mentioned so many different, a plethora of challenges that you go through every day, and, and it's like you have to have this scheduled, this disciplined timetable, um, which, you know, can change any time. How do you manage? I'm not going to say overcome. I'm, I'm going to ask, how do you manage not practically, but mentally, these challenges? So, I, I mean, going back to that first week when I was at Great Ormond Street, um, because I told, uh, you know, when I mentioned to you that in that initial um, um, hospital, when I rushed into a hospital and they told me that she'd got an enlarged heart and I wasn't able to process that, I had to be resilient. So when I had the opportunity at Great Ormond Street, when, you know, the doctors and everybody was taking care of Sophia, they told me, you need to rest, you must rest. I was also breastfeeding Sophia at the time, and I had to eat, and I had to look after myself. Um, so um, I, I did request to speak to a psychologist, and that was because I needed to speak to somebody and just um, allow my thought processes and my understanding of what I've just um, experienced to flow and, and to, for somebody to listen. And this psychologist was, I mean, she was wonderful. And I said, I don't really need uh, any long-term support. All I need to... I tell you, talk to you about today is my experiences of the last 10 weeks and that will help me process my feelings. And I said to her, the main thing is, um, I mean, I, I have a very strong faith and I believe, um, you know, that children are a trust because in Islam, children are what we call an amana, a trust from God and we're supposed to protect them, safeguard them, nurture them um, and we don't own our children, you know, and, and if God decides to take them back, you know, um, they go to a better place. So we, so that was my kind of um, uh, source of strength, you know, my faith, and, no. and 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 that's what I I just needed to express that. Sure. Um, and then I was able to get up and think practically. Right, what do I need to do now? What 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 steps should I have to do take to ensure that the 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 next you know couple of months in hospital. Um, you know, Sophia's looked at, and obviously I'm able to feed her and my other children at home are looked after her and the routines carry on. So the practical things. Um, and, I, and, and I also, having a background in social work, um, um, really helped uh, in terms of, you know, sort of thinking resourcefully and thinking about reaching out. Uh, I'm getting the emotional and practical support that I needed and looking at uh, organisations like the Children's Heart Federation, who are fantastic. Uh, I mean, they sort of came along um, uh, just after Sophia's um, heart transplant. 
but the wealth of knowledge on the website was amazing and and it was through a, a play specialist um, at the time there who said um, to me that uh, shall, shall we um, um, apply for a Molly doll for Sophia? It is, it's like a rag doll, and it can um, it, 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 you can request um, a scars on this doll to um, represent um, you know your child scarring, and it just uh, for me that was really important because then Sophia's got something. Um, like a, a, a you know like, like something to comfort her to take into hospital and then she can look at the uh, rag doll and say well you know these are the scars that I have and then you know talk through them and make sense of what you know her, her transplant and as she's getting older she's asking more um, sort of challenging questions and like recently she uh, I said to her Sophia what do you want to be when you grow up and so Sophia responded if I grow up mummy and it's like, you know, what does your child understand? And and then we use the uh, 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 Molly doll to sort of go back to, you know, when she had her, we say your gift of life, because that her heart was literally um, allowed you to be healthy and go to school, Sophia. And 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 when you sort of explain it in simple terms, she, you know, she she just values that so much, and and it, it starts to make sense to her. So. Um, um, yeah, I mean that was uh, that's been very helpful, um, and I've I've been involved with Joanna for for since COVID now, when I've sort of shared my testimony and um, I've um, um, I, I wrote it myself actually. Joanna did offer me to um, she did say, look, I can write it for you, but I thought, you know what, it's better for me to put it into my words as her full time carer, as her mum, and and those sort of uh, emotions that I felt and. Uh, and then, yeah, and they published it on their website, and, it, I, and I, I'm hoping that it's helped a lot of parents. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, um, yeah, Daz, yeah. thank you so much for, for, for that comprehensive um, answer. The reason I didn't want to interrupt is because you were in your flow, and they, you were saying all the things that, that I think our listeners wanted to hear from a parental perspective. But finally, if I may come back to Joanna. Um, Joanna, you know, um, Taz mentioned faith, and, and within mm-hmm. Islam, you know, we're part and parcel of worship, worshipping God is to serve humanity and you do that in abundance so with this day today what does the heart day mean to you at the children's heart federation well world heart day it's an opportunity for people to realize how important the heart is and and to, and to make sure that they take care of it um, but I'd say for us at the children's heart federation it's making people aware of heart conditions in children. It's a great opportunity for us. Um, the heart condition is the most common birth defect. Um, and I, I don't think many people are aware of that. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to talk about Think Heart, which I mentioned earlier, and um, for us to d- tell people about the work that we do. And, and, you know, so, so that we can... Uh, for two reasons, so that people can um, help us by fundraising or donating to us, but or becoming involved in one of our steering groups if there's any medical professionals listening to the programme, any parents of children with heart conditions, you're very welcome to have our look at our website, get in touch with us. Um, Fantastic. Uh, and, yeah, um, yeah. 
John, I mean, I can ask loads of questions, but we are coming Please, up to the, we, yes. we, we are coming up to the uh, to the end of our segment. I just uh, finally want to say, may, may, may God reward all the hard work you do, Joanna and Taz. As a parent, may God give you strength and courage to carry on and and keep fighting the oh. fight, and and may God Almighty give uh, health and uh, and recovery um, and and a, and a full life uh, to to Sophia. Um, thank you okay. to both of you. Uh, for Thank taking you. time out for the breakfast show. May peace be with you. Thanks. Thank you. Goodbye. Yes, goodbye. Um, right, um, so that, as indicated by uh, Brother Kume, uh, has brought us to the end of that particular item, uh, the item covering uh, World Heart Day. And we have to move on and talk about depression can be prevented with a healthy, life, healthy lifestyle, which is the second of our main topics. Uh, and uh, what can be said about this is that a healthy lifestyle that involves moderate alcohol consumption, a healthy, or in our case, no uh, alcohol consumption, a healthy diet, regular physical activity, healthy sleep, uh, and frequent social connection, while avoiding smoking and too much sedentary, sedentary uh, behavior, reduces the risk of depression. Uh, this is according to a new research. Now, the research uh, was published in uh, Nature Mental Health, uh, and in where an international team of researchers, including uh, from the University of Cambridge and Fudan uh, University, looked at a combination of factors, including lifestyle factors, genetics, brain structure, and our immune and metabolic systems to identify the underlying mechanisms that might explain this link. According to the World Health Organization, around 1 in 20 adults experience depression and the condition poses a significant burden on public health worldwide. The factors that influence the onset of depression are complicated and include a mixture of biological and lifestyle factors. To better understand the relationship between these factors and depression, researchers turn to the UK Biobank a biomedical database and research resource containing anonymized genetic lifestyle and health information about its participants. By examining data from almost 290,000 people, of whom 13,000 had depression, followed over a nine-year period, the team was able to identify seven healthy lifestyle factors linked with a lower risk of depression, We'll be speaking to uh, uh, Professor Sahakian in a second, but let me just uh, itemize these uh, these factors. And they were moderate alcohol consumption, healthy diet, regular physical activity, healthy sleep, never smoking, low to moderate uh, sedentary uh, behavior, frequent uh, social connection. Uh, now, I do know that um, Professor uh, Sahakian, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correct. Perhaps Sahakian is on the line. Thank you very much for joining us on the on the breakfast show, Professor. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Right. For many years now, we have been encouraged and advised to maintain a healthy, active lifestyle for our heart. Now it seems we can do the same uh, for uh, the benefit of our brain. Can you tell us what led your researchers to look into this in the first place? What is yeah. healthy? Healthy lifestyle would have a have a have an impact. 
Yes, so thank you for asking. There were two two sort of streams that led to uh, my interest in this area. One being I worked on the UK government foresight project on mental capital and well-being. And there, that part of that project was to identify factors that would improve our brain health, improve our cognition, and improve our well-being. And they were such things as social, staying socially connected, and exercise, and um, you know, uh, good schooling, things like that. And then, on the other hand, we looked at factors that detracted from good cognition and well-being. And they were such things as uh, substance abuse and, and things like that, and too much stress. So that led me to have a great interest in how we could overall, for everybody, kind of boost our cognition and our mental well-being and our brain health. And the other side was that I'm a clinical psychologist, so I've worked for many years with people with depression. And it's easier to try to prevent somebody getting depressed and harder to treat them after they've gotten depressed. And many people have recurring bouts of depression and each time it gets harder and harder to treat the depression. So I wanted very much to be more proactive and have people try to prevent themselves getting depressed in the first place um, because if they do get depressed, it's important to treat them quickly and effectively but it would be better if we could prevent the depression overall. And the World Health Organization has found that around 1 in 20 adults experiences depression, so it's a major problem. Mm. Um, before I started speaking to you, I did list the uh, seven lifestyle factors. Perhaps you can, uh, you can repeat them and elaborate a bit uh, upon them a bit more. That I mean, the seven factors that link with the lower risk of depression. Yeah, so one of the most important one is sleep. And sleep is an important component of maintaining good brain functioning. So we used to think of sleep as a kind of passive process. We just fell asleep and that was it. But during sleep, the brain recharges itself. It removes toxic waste byproducts and it boosts the immune system. And so it's really important for you know the brain health that we have a good night's sleep and that we sleep for the right amount of hours. We also consolidate our memories during sleep, so that's very important for, you know, remembering things that we've learned during the day. So that's that's an important function of sleep. So the optimal quantity and quality of sleep enables us to have more energy and improved mood and also improved well-being. We also perform better cognitively in our study published in Nature Mental Health if we have a good night's sleep, seven to nine hours. And that made the biggest difference out of all the lifestyle factors. So if you have a healthy, uh, all you know, five to seven of those lifestyle, healthy lifestyle factors, you had a reduced risk of depression by about 57%. But it was a, having good sleep, the right amount of sleep, accounted for 22%. So just by having uh, the right amount of sleep, you could have a 22% reduction in your risk of depression. Mm. And uh, you also mentioned frequent social connection. What's that uh, about then? Yeah, so we, we are social animals. We have a what's called a social brain, actually, and that in, uh, includes areas like the temporal parietal junction and other areas in the brain. 
So we're, we're geared to live in a society and be social and see people. And in another study that we did with, this, with the same uh, group of people, more or less, we found that um, you know, being socially isolated actually led to an increased risk in older age of dementia. So we know that uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not very good to be socially isolated. And many people, unfortunately, during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns got socially isolated. But in another study I did, I found that those people who managed to stay socially connected had less risk of getting symptoms of depression. So we know that it's very important to you know, have social connections, meet up with people, see people socially, um, and, and use our ability in our brain to you know, have social cognition. That's you know, discussions, and it, it's not only um, emotionally stimulating, but it's stimulating for the brain in terms of your cognitive abilities. Mm. And finally, physical activity. What would you say is the optimum physical uh, activity that should be engaged in? Well, I think everybody can engage in some physical activity. I mean, it's been shown that the more physical activity that you have, uh, especially if you can, um, you know, uh, expend a lot of energy in the physical activity, is very good for you. But even walking is is great for you. And some people, obviously, as you get older, uh, are restricted by what they can do in terms of physical activity. What I always say is that it's a great all-rounder because physical activity boosts your mood, it boosts boosts your brain, it boosts your cognitive abilities. So it's and it's very good for your physical health. So having physical exercise is a great thing to do all around. And just do something that you like and that you'll keep up with because, you know, if you try to take up something that you're not very interested in or that you don't find enjoyable, you'll probably stop. So just do something that you like. And if you can do it with somebody else, it motivates you to get out there. So if you have a jogging partner or if you, you know, organize to go on walks with somebody every day at a certain time, that's a very good thing to do. And I know a lot of people get get dogs so that they will get out and walk their mm. dogs and things like that. So whatever you can do is good, is a good thing to do. Okay, I've got my uh, colleague uh, who's itching to uh, ask you a few questions. I, I, only have, I only have one question, Professor, and it, it, it always comes to my head whenever I speak to professors who talk of depression and who are experts in, in dealing with, um, you know, the solutions, looking for solutions. What, what, uh, what part does faith play in overcoming depression? Has ever re- is there research? Do people even look at faith as a remedy yeah, to overcome well, depression? Yes, in the UK government foresight project on mental capital and well-being, uh, we looked at resilience, and um, faith is is really good for resilience. So when when a, uh, you have a difficult situation in life, or maybe you um, unfortunately do come down with a uh, a chronic disease or something like that. Resilience factors are very important because they give you the best possible outcomes. And uh, faith has been shown to be a resilience factor. Awesome. Uh, Professor, thank you so much for taking time out this morning, coming on to The Breakfast Show. Uh, May God reward you for all the hard work you do. Um, Thank you. May peace be with you. Thank you very much. Bye now.
Right, thank you. Um, so you weren't itching to get your questions in then? Uh, hmm? huh? wanted, you weren't itching. It was wrong Wrong to say. It, it was. It was. What well, thing is, you see, hmm? we, we, we talk of, we, we spoke of the heart. We spoke of, you know, um, challenges of the mind. Um, and faith is very important. Hmm. Um, and uh, I think that uh, sometimes we we give it a miss. Um, a lot of experts who actually have valid research out there who have used faith uh, as a remedy. But there is this misconception or or, um, or or there's a predetermined mindset that, oh, faith is not going to be um, um, part of the conversation. Whereas within the Ahmadi Muslim community, we have a belief with the teachings we have of the Promised Messiah is that science... Is part and parcel of Islam. They're not two separate entities. They cannot be two separate entities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's and and so so it's it's important to uh, and the question always comes to mind that uh, um, faith is is a question that needs to be asked for all the professors who look for remedies. Um, and and surprisingly enough, most professors or academics I asked a question to about faith, they say yes, they have valid. Research which shows how faith helps. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I would be interested in uh, looking at that uh, research if there have been, any, if there has been any. Now you uh, know we are voice of Islam. Mm. Prophets uh, of God Almighty um, have always been known to be physically active and robust. Mm. Uh, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. We always we always talk about how he used to go to the caves, mm. but we never talk about that he had to hike up to the caves mm. <laughs> so that was the exercise that he would have to do on a daily basis to get to the cave mm. Mm. so you know hiking was was part and parcel um of 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 his daily activity when he's going up to the mountains and but of course this wasn't an activity he did in vain it was in search of solitude to worship god almighty so mm-hmm. there was a purpose behind that hike as well mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and even in the defensive battles that mm. that were fought, um, some people say they narrate that when the Holy Prophet was was sought during battles, they would look for him in the area where the combat was the most fiercest, and he would be found um, fighting and defending mm. um, uh, because he was a very fit person. Okay, and, and it's interesting. Interesting, you make that link between face and uh, mental health, but perhaps we can. Uh, I pose that question to Alexa Knight, who's on the uh, on the line. She's the director of England at Mental uh, Foundation, and leads the charities, policy, research, and programs activity in England, with an ambition to drive equity in public mental health outcomes. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, uh, uh, Alexa. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, Tell us, uh, before we go on to the question was Hume was uh, probing, can you please tell us, uh, or for the benefit of our listeners, what the Mental Health Foundation is and w- what what are its aims? Yeah, we're a charity who really strive for a world where we have good mental health for everyone, not just for some people. And our focus is very much on prevention of mental illness. So, we try and find and address the causes of poor mental health so that people and communities can thrive. And we play our part by developing evidence on what works to protect people's mental health, 
by testing it out in practice and then by advocating for change. Mm. So coming to what Brother Kim was mentioning, do you feel that in your experience faith is a factor? There's lots of evidence to suggest that faith is a factor and we're, we're hoping to run a program over the next year that, that tests that out. Um, lots of people say that being with a community, finding that connection with others, which of course is, is part of faith, makes a real difference. Uh, Alexa, if you if you do that research, we would love to be part of it or, or, or to, to, to know how, uh, how we could assist as the Amdi Muslim community. Well, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Let's let's keep in touch and, and, and try and arrange that after this call. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Alexa, what, one question comes to mind uh, as society evolves. Do you ever find yourself defending the word depression um, within the problems that, that you see, as you say, holistically? Because the word used to be as a medical term, but now it's yeah. become... I don't know. Maybe it's wrong for me to say, but it, the question comes to mind. They've, society has diluted the word and overused it. Well, I think it's fair to say that there's a real scale when it comes to depression. I mean, everybody feels sad and low from time to time. But depression is when that feeling continues and persists over a period of weeks or months. And for some people, depression will be mild and for others, it will be much more severe and and, and make people feel very low. Um, but depression is a real thing that people need to be able to recognize in themselves and in others because support and help is available to help people recover. And, and what are those signs? What are those symptoms that people should look out for? I mean, especially, I suppose, in today's day and age now, we attribute depression, we use that word for the youth as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and depression looks and feels different for different people. Yes. And people can experience a range of symptoms. Some of them are emotional and some of them are physical. So emotionally, you know, you might feel sad, but upset and tearful, or you might feel restless or irritable or or sometimes just empty and numb or low in self-esteem and unable to enjoy the things that usually bring you joy. But there's physical symptoms too. You might feel tired, you have a lack of energy, you might find yourself moving or speaking more slowly, and you might have problems sleeping, finding it hard to get to sleep or waking up very early. Or you might notice changes in your weight or appetite. You might be constipated, or you might have unexplained aches and pains, and they can all be symptoms of depression. Now, now what? let's say you don't see these symptoms, but what effects one can see that these symptoms bring upon a person that yeah. has an effect on one's life? They can really have an impact on day-to-day -day life. You might find that somebody who's experiencing depression starts avoiding other people, even close family and friends, because they find it just too exhausting to make that social connection. Or people might find it hard to function at work or at school. They might find it difficult to make decisions or to think clearly or find themselves unable to concentrate or remember things. So it's those sorts of signs that can help you spot when somebody's in a state of depression. Now, what evidence or what advice, I should say, what advice would you give to anyone um, who is currently living um, or suffering or has some of the symptoms you mentioned? And what, what uh, assistance should they be looking for from their loved ones, um, um, for their loved ones who also might have the same symptoms? Mm. There's, 
the good news is there's all sorts of things that you can do, both sort of self-care and seeking support from others. I think probably the first step in getting support is to speak to your GP. And the sooner you go, the sooner you can start to access support and start that mission to recovery. Um, I think it's usually a combination of self-help, talking therapies and medication that will work for people. And the right treatment for you will depend on you as a person, the kind of depression you have, how severely you're feeling it. Um, Many people benefit from talking therapies, which involves speaking to trained professionals about your feelings, and there's different kinds of talking therapies. And of course, there's there's medication, there are antidepressants, which work really well for lots of people. Um, But there's also lots of things that you can do yourself. Um, I mean, again, talking to trusted friends or family can help you feel better and less alone. You can take care with your diet and eat well. A healthy diet can really help to lift mood and maintain mental health. And actually, staying physically active is really important. And recent studies have shown that exercise or physical activity can be just as beneficial for improving symptoms of depression as antidepressants can for many people. So staying active, getting out in nature, moving as much as you can is is really, really important. Well, I'm glad you mentioned talking being a a remedy because as Muslims, we, we we take time out five days, five five times a day to talk to God in a in a yeah. in a very private moment. And and the whole point of the praying is to talk to God Almighty about all of your all the challenges that you face. So I suppose that's where when I was talking to you earlier about looking at uh, faith being a part and parcel of a remedy and a solution yeah. for depression, it it would be very much uh, um, um, good to be involved in such research. Yeah, absolutely. And taking that time for reflection, for conversations can be an absolutely key part of of the path to recovery for many people. Fantastic. Finally, Alexa, as individuals, what can we do as individuals to assist um, in in this uh, in this encouraging, not encouraging, in this ever increasing um, ailment of depression? I think a key thing is to look out for people, look out for your family, for your friends, make sure that you're connecting with people if you haven't seen them for a while, check in on your friends and family, encourage people to talk and to get out. And I think that that spirit of of trying to, to be healthy and active is a really protective factor. And when we talk about physical activity, it doesn't have to mean going to the gym, you know, it can mean moving in a way that's, that suits you. It could be gardening, it could be going for a walk with friends, but making sure that you're getting out, staying active, and not uh, not being alone and, and dwelling with your feelings. I'll hand you over to my colleague, Brother the brother Valid, who's got some questions as well. Yeah, Alexa, I mean, in your work, do you find that there is uh, an increase in, uh, in depression? Is it yes, on the rise? We have seen an in, increase in depression and anxiety. Um, and, um, it, it's a range of factors. I mean, we know that, for example, during the pandemic, people struggled more with their mental health. And now we see the cost of living crisis and poverty and anxiety about money worries is a real factor in people's mental health as well. Um, there are all sorts of other things that can, can have an impact. Discrimination and racism can be, play a real role in, in people developing mental health problems, mm. as well as things like childhood trauma. 
So there's all sorts of things that are contributing to this deterioration in mental health. But I think on the positive side, it's really good that people are more aware of mental health and they're talking about it more, generally speaking, which is fantastic. And we really want to give everybody the confidence to seek support for their mental health if they are feeling vulnerable or if they suspect that one of their friends or family is feeling vulnerable. Hmm. And do you think that trend is going to continue, this upward trend? It's very hard at the moment to see um, how that we're going to, to tackle this epidemic of poor mental health. If we don't get in there with prevention, we really need to start taking more care of people's mental health, looking at the factors that cause mental illness, with a particular focus on young people. We, you know, the evidence is there all the time of the impact that the pandemic has had on young people's mental health. We see children not going to school. We know that they're becoming more isolated. So we need support, we need understanding, and we need real funding for programs in schools to support children with their mental health. Hmm. So from your experience, what do you think is uh, uh, fundamentally required uh, in respect of uh, change in order to arrest this uh, rise in depression in our communities? I think it's a real understanding that mental health isn't just dependent on health services. It's not about the NHS. It's about having a holistic approach to people's mental health and recognising that Good mental health is dependent on such a range of factors such as feeling financially well off, having access to good quality housing, being connected in our communities. And I think the more that we, not just the government, but in local communities, as a society, can think of mental health in that holistic way, I think the, the further on we'll be to creating that mentally healthy society for all. Right, thanks very much. Uh, that was quite uh, informative. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank, thank you for having me. Yes, and thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Uh, very useful. Thank you. Thank you. Peace You're be welcome. on you. Bye. Bye. Right. Um, we're coming to the uh, near the nearing the end of this broadcast. It is. Yeah. So you 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 appear worn out already. Me? I'm yes, you appear you. worn out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not your unhealthy lifestyle that's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it is. It, it, I I actually have a very healthy lifestyle. I do I do all the things that Professor talked about, but the Mediterranean diet, the walking. Something you need to take on board, brother. No, no. The walking, uh, uh, most walking, definitely. Yes. I yes. always see you, whenever I see you, you're driving by. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I don't I don't want to uh, drive to uh, uh, to Alton or to Farnham. Yeah, I mean, talking, so I don't want to walk to Alton or I'm Farnham. Talking lo- yeah. I'm talking local. Oh, local, yes. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's interesting. We, we, yeah. we spoke the first hour about physical health and the second was about mental health, effectively. And how they're intertwined, because both the experts spoke of the same solutions, healthy lifestyle, exercise, um, eating properly, living a balanced life. Um, And faith is important in both of these elements of of living. Mm. Mm. Um, They're paramount, in fact. Yeah. Now, it's interesting you made that link because, I mean, we, we do read in the Holy Quran, don't you, that, uh, don't we, that uh, verily it is in the remembrance of God 
that the heart can find comfort. So that's an indication of the influence of uh, faith when it comes to uh, uh, mental mental well-being. Well, there's a narration of the Holy Prophet as well where he talks about, um, you know, you mentioned it earlier, a strong believer is better mm. and more beloved. Mm. Uh, beloved to the to to God Almighty yeah. uh, than a weaker one, and there is good in everyone. And when he, the Holy, when Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he's talking about strong. He, he's not talking just strength, physical strength. He's talking mental, physical. Mm. It's it's a, he, he's talking holistically as uh, as Anita, um, as our last guest uh, spoke of holistic uh, approach to 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 dealing um, um, in in life. You know, in uh, there is a lot of. Uh, teachings of the holy prophet uh, that we can mention you know he he was a keen swimmer it was instruction that fathers were encouraged to teach their sons and children um to to swim horse ride um mm. and to walk mm. um you know hiking um but swimming and archery archery was also something which was an activity which was encouraged by fathers to um uh, to to uh, to teach mm -hmm. their children but exercise has always been very relevant but not exercise to look good that's vanity mm. that is not the purpose here all the prophets and with holy prophet um the 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 end purpose was to seek the pleasure of god almighty but looking wanting to look good is not a bad uh, it's not uh, a bad thing but it's not thing, but but, but that but vanity that brings in ego and pride mm. so you know it it if if you have that balanced perspective, fine, not a problem. Because if you believe that, but who you're looking good for? Yeah, well, that's 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 it. That's Isn't that the key? Comes in exactly, possibly, but yes. not, not necessarily. Maybe of course, yes. not, you know, it would be wrong to generalize it. Mm, but mm. but if if uh, um, one was to talk of exercise, like we gave the example of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he got exercise in his daily life because when he was coming up going up to the caves he was hiking on mountains but mm. he wasn't going on top of the mountains to see the view mm. he was going up there to find a solitude place where he could worship god mm. almighty mm. and again the same things um have been found in the promised messiah the founder of the of the uh, ahmadiyya muslim community uh, on whom be peace a lot of people might not know he was he he used to weightlift mm -hmm. uh, in his old age he was known to 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 use weights uh -huh. uh, for strength he used to walk a lot as well right um he used to swim he used to swim in the lakes in the in the in the canals in Kadian in india the rustic village where he mm. where, where where you know where the the uh, the fountain of ahmadiyya uh, islam uh, you know um, yeah. started yes um, so exercise is important because it directly has an impact on your mental health so the more physically active you are um, and you're doing it for the sake of God Almighty. Plus, look at Salat. Physical movement. Not just any movements. They have a direct correlation with the way your blood hmm. um, circulates around your body. Yeah, very interesting. I'm sure we could have uh, spoken for longer, but I think we need to wrap up now. We uh, do. Okay, we we're do. coming very close to the end of this broadcast. Uh, and uh, it was uh, quite a fruitful one in in many ways, and it's surprising. Uh, I know we we uh, have listeners calling in and writing in, uh, saying how much uh, they have learnt uh, about Islam through our broadcasts, and the fact that um, 
they have been able, through listening to our broadcast, been able to put Islamic teachings into its proper perspective. Yes. So we get that. But at the same time, I think uh, we should also mention that we, as presenters, learn oh, a lot. Oh, without a doubt. Um, so a I learned quite a lot uh, from, uh, not just uh, as far as academic uh, information and knowledge is concerned, but also from uh, what uh, Sophia's mother was saying. Yes. I think I learned quite a lot uh, from her. Most definitely. You know, it's to learn avenues and, and parts of life which we never either mm. get to experience mm. or explore. And, and, and all of these guests who come in yeah. and, and shed light on it. Yeah. And, and it obviously, it's, it's a, a lifelong learning. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, uh, so we have to thank those people who have been involved in this uh, uh, production of this broadcast. So our producer, Eamon Usman is uh, certainly worthy of our gratitude, as uh, are her researchers, Hannah Ahmed, Kutsia Ward, uh, Maharu Chala Ahmed, uh, not to forget uh, our engineer, uh, beavering away in the uh, control Zishan, room, Zishan, Zishan Arshad. Uh, so Zishan Arshad is very efficient in, uh, in, this, uh, in this area, so thank you to him. Uh, and as uh, Brother Kareem was mentioning, uh, we should also be very thankful of the experts who gave up their time to come and enlighten us. So that includes uh, Professor Karis, uh, Dr. Mbakwum, uh, and then we had that three-way conversation, a very interesting conversation with Johanna Heath and Tasamin uh, regarding uh, children's uh, heart conditions. Uh, and then when we were talking about this topic concerning depression and how a healthy uh, lifestyle can avert it, uh, then uh, we had the pleasure of the company of Barbara Sahakian and Alexa Knight, we shed light on that particular subject for our benefit and for the benefit of our listeners. So thanks to them as well. So And finally, uh, last but not least, thanks to all our listeners for uh, staying the course, if they have been able to, in uh, giving us company and uh, listening to our show. Do join us again on Friday. I don't know who will be with uh, with us to, uh, on Friday. Perhaps uh, you can come again. Uh, Friday. Next Friday. Um, yeah. Next Friday, <laughs> uh, it will be back to... Uh, uh, it will be it probably will be Brother Jalis and Brother Thokir Khan again. Okay. And um, you'll be on Thursdays, will you? I will be on Thursdays, okay, uh, right. God willing. Yes, okay, uh, so uh, that's uh, uh, how we uh, we stand. So it's uh, until uh, next time, it's alaikum from me and Brother Kiyum. Please forgive any shortcomings on our part and please remember us in your prayers. And very shortly, here's the 9 o'clock news. Assalamu alaikum.